0: Very locally here. My local fish and chip shop in my local high street is offering free fish and chips to nurses and doctors and police officers. Free fish and chips. Four and six. I'm coming over, Peter.
1: I'm coming over.
0: Well, you're welcome. Come on. The the savalois are beautiful. Uh, But but no, but the thing is we love those guys. Uh, You know, now now if I'm going anywhere, I will go to that fish and chip shop because they're good people and they're doing good work. so So I think you know it's it's you give a bit to get a bit I think in business and it's it, they're doing good community work but it's good business planning for the future as well
2: keep telling you guys gems of knowledge and this time we're going to call it bombs of knowledge because I don't think you're ready for the caliber of you know responses that we're about to get to the questions that I have on today. Entrepreneur leadership in Africa this is the ALU podcast my name is Savannah Olo and today we're going to be speaking on designing your business model for social impact and you know We have a special surprise for you today. So if you feel like the content resonates with you, or you might have picked a gem or two with you, do not hesitate to like, share and comment. And tell us more about what you think of, of the guests that we bring on. Remember that this is content that we create for you as our listeners and find us on our various platforms but to duly update you on when an episode is out do follow us on instagram at aou education uh today we have two guests and that was the surprise that we have we have peter and desiree who have worked together before and peter is a senior international business and media executive mentoring and working with young entrepreneurs and students in africa and the uk I don't think you're ready for his experience he has worked for BBC in Africa for over 29 years he's also the UK representative for Meadow um, and he was the director for um, Peter Burden African Solutions Limited he also sits on the board of trustees of the Handicap International UK and African is also a practitioner in residence in the Africa Partnerships Ambassadors. Our second guest is Desiree and she is the founder of Startup Africa and the Africa Women's Enterprise Cooperative. And, you know, Africa is budding with ideas to create and support African investors um, is the purpose of her startup and, you know, entrepreneurs and future business leaders as well. A place for aspiring youth entrepreneurs and to make a sense of everything and anything from their business ideas to strategies to implementing them so I just want to give like a really warm welcome to our guest today because it's not every day you get a two for one special you know so (laughs) let's get to it all right so uh Peter and Desiree thank you so much for being with us today uh, maybe you can introduce yourself a bit further and, you know, tell us more about who you are and something we can't find about you on the internet
0: aha <laughs> well i I'm, I'm peter i uh, i was the bbc head of africa for several years right. and i had a long <laughs> bbc career always in international news but uh, africa was always my uh, my number one destination of choice uh, and i'm now working with some uh, some black um, female owned companies in southern africa and, uh, and and, and seeing to find some some European investors to sort of scale them up and uh, and take them up to the next level. So everything I do really is is, is related to to startups, to SMEs, and, uh, but always in the African context.
2: Right. What about you, Desiree?
1: Uh, Hi, I'm Desiree and what can I say? So I'm half South African, half Zimbabwean, grew up in Zimbabwe and moved to the UK in 2002 when Zimbabwe's economy crashed. And I have been working in startups ever since right and um, and then I went down the route of media so I studied um, journalism media documentary and business applications here in London and then I started finding my way into the media space um, I've worked in the last job I worked in was with the government of the Emirates um, with a media house called 70 news um, and that was an interesting. What can I say? Interesting experience. Yeah. Um, but just to tie in, Peter and I—he's—he's well, he's my mentor. I've met him about four years ago, and I always say that I follow my dreams through his footsteps because he's literally living the life that I want to live. Ah, <laughs> um, I
0: never—I never knew that Desiree. Thank you very much. Well, it's
1: coming—it's <laughs> coming out now, um, and currently I am the. Deputy Director of Communications and Business Development for a U.S. nonprofit. It's called the Africa Women's Entrepreneurship Cooperative, right. which is a program that is hosted by the Center for Global Enterprise based in New York. And what they do is they give scholarships to 200 women um, from across Africa every year for 12 months for them to kind of really look at their businesses again in a capacity building way and looking at Sustainability for their businesses.
2: Great, and I like how you guys just slid through my question, my my follow up question, Uh, where I asked what what can we not find about you in the internet? Ah, sneaky, sneaky. uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, maybe Peter, we we can start with you. What can we not find about you in the internet? Who is this? Me. Yes. Yes, oh you, my Peter.
0: God! I think it's it's uh, a very very good question. <laughs> probably some of my probably some of my radio awards because unfortunately they were all <laughs> many years ago now and they're <laughs> receding into history. But I am still very proud of them and I still look at them and polish them from time <laughs> to time on my mantelpiece. Oh
2: my goodness! What about you,
1: <laughs> Um For me, I think I would say that nobody will know that I. am Can say the alphabet backwards in under five seconds.
0: Don't believe you.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we don't believe you. So just just hit us. I always have
1: to do it. Okay, cool. Okay, so here we go. Uh Z Y X W V U T S R Q P O N M L K J I H G F E D C B A.
2: What? That is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So we're off to a great start. (laughs) So we're off to a great start on this podcast. And Peter, you worked with BBC for over twenty nine years. 29 years, including roles as the Africa Bureau chief and a senior Africa producer. How would you describe your entrepreneurial landscape on the continent?
0: Oh, it's very interesting. I mean, I think it's very exciting. And I, and I know we are living in these times of crisis at the moment. But I think if you look at where, where where entrepreneurship in Africa is, it's very vibrant. I, I mean, we keep hearing about uh, the average age in Africa is 19. Average age in Europe, I think, is 40-something. Right. And uh, I, I've done quite a bit of work with the African Leadership University. And, uh, you know, I, I just see entrepreneurship and new ideas uh, wherever I look, really. I don't want to paint too rosier picture because I think, I think there are real challenges that people right. have to. As young startups have to have to have to combat and have to try and rise above, but I think the thing is when we look at the Africa picture. I mean, infrastructure alone, Africa needs so much, and that just means as an entrepreneur, you can see where the gaps are, and you can do something about taking your business model into those gaps and actually making an impact and and improving the lives of your community. I mean, one good example is someone I worked with in Malawi was in a village which like 60% of Africans was living in a village with no electricity, with no power at all. And he decided to become an electrical engineer and he has now lit up his entire village and is moving from village to village. In a sense, again, it's identifying a need and actually, making a difference to the community you live in and 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 I think the great thing about young African entrepreneurs is that they are looking for ways to make an impact in their communities, and there's no better reason for being in business than that there's i
2: couldn't agree even more um what about you, Desiree? What are your thoughts on you know the entrepreneurial landscape on the continent? based on, you know, your experience with finding uh, or founding, rather, Startup Africa and the African Women's Enterprise Cooperative? Startup Africa. So that's a really good question.
1: Um, (laughs) When it was actually um, a radio station that approached me to ask me if there was anything I could talk about on a radio show, what would I talk about? And I said, startups in Africa. Um, (laughs) I am so passionate about the landscape of entrepreneurship because when I look at the stats, 90% of Africa's economy is made up of SMEs, and they employ 60% of the workforce. They're also expected to create four-fifths of the 600 million new jobs needed in the next 15 years they play a huge role in the continent's prosperity. And that means at least one in four people in our families is employed by an SME. What I'm interested to to see, I think the challenge that we have is how we can continue to sustain these businesses. A lot of them are in the informal sector, um, but they don't get enough of the help that they need. Again, to Peter's point, they... Also contribute. I mean, it's young people that are starting a lot of these businesses, and we need to find a way for us to contribute and sustain them.
2: All right. So and, and If I,
0: okay, yeah, if I could just add, if I could just add to that, Des. I mean, from uh, uh, from your country, Zimbabwe. I mean, there's a very good case of an African leadership university student called Farai, who actually sitting in his classroom re- realised that none of his classmates actually had any textbooks. And he set up solving that problem by setting up a distance learning programme, which is so successful that, that actually it takes advertising, that revenue means that the poorer students can access it for free. And again, it's, it's just a classic case of African necessity leading to Africa innovation.
2: Actually, Farai was in our debut episode. So it's amazing to know that, you know, his, his impact goes beyond the podcast and just what he's done for Shasha Network, what he's done for AOU as well. So it's great to hear his name just come up randomly into <laughs> the <another laughs> podcast episode. Um, okay, so Desiree, why do you see the need um, for these ideas and what progress have you made so far?
1: And when you say the need for which ideas
2: for um, in general? Yeah, or, you know, when it came to how you founded Startup Africa and the African Women's Enterprise Cooperative.
1: That is a long story. How much
2: time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) We got all the time we need.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So when I came to the UK in 2002, I was harping on about the beauty of Africa, as you do. right? But to be honest, at that time, nobody wanted to hear and nobody cared. But as time has gone on, you know, the Africa rising story, which I actually don't like that phrase, but it's been, it's been going around or going around the houses for the last maybe 10 years. And that's where I saw an opportunity to, to kind of come in and say, okay, this is the story I was talking about. But at the same time, I wanted to, I, I really wanted to touch ground. I wanted to hear how we can play a part, particularly the diaspora, so i'm going to i'm I'm speaking from a diaspora perspective. Right. We've been away from Africa for so long, but we mm-hmm. we are so tied to the continent in that we want we want its development, we want to contribute to where it's going, even though we are no longer as young as we were when we left, we still feel like we have a part to play in its development, and I think the the proverb that we use. It takes a village. There is absolutely no way that you can have um, ideas incorporated without the ecosystem that is necessary. And I'm talking about full touch points from public to private assistance. I'm talking about the diaspora. I'm talking about the government. I'm talking about private uh, corporations. I'm talking about um, social enterprise included just a community of people that can play a part in Africa's development. That's why I'm excited about stuff like this.
2: Right. Oh, great. So, um, you know, obviously looking at how you can um, sort of bring back what you've, what, what you've taken from, I guess, the motherland uh, and, you know, sort of <laughs> seeing how that, that can impact the society in a positive manner right if that's what you're saying absolutely
1: absolutely and and at the same time it's just just so you know the people from the diaspora are not you know saviors we're not we're not trying to be heroes we want to be we want to play a part in the community we want to be seen as we're here to help we're here to invest our not just financial resources but social resources as well right,
2: um, yeah. and,
1: and, and this is a part that we can all play not just us in the diaspora or us that have you know um, travelled abroad I think we can all play a part and
0: okay. I think I think that's something that's coming to the fore during this um, um, COVID-19 crisis as well. I think this realisation is that no one is an island, that we need international solutions. And I think the diaspora and uh, the continent coming together, I think, is more crucial now than it has ever been, really, that we, right. we we need global effort to reach some of these global solutions.
2: All right. So you mentioned the impact of COVID-19 Um, And obviously our hearts go out to the people who are at the front line of this whole pandemic, either going through it or, you know, helping like sort of mitigate the situation. And, you know, you're now working with an international group to create jobs and opportunities for young people. Moving forward, how can our social entrepreneurs redesign the business models as a result of covid
0: I think it's very crucial that we do that. And I, I was talking to some uh, members of uh, FTSE 100 boards today and right. saying how we've got to deal with the crisis today, but also we've got to look at our business plan for tomorrow. So there's a lot of people wearing two hats and doing a lot of strategizing. I was mean, a very good case uh, actually in Rwanda where... Uh, Uh, One of the African leadership university students called Daniela and um, Peter from Tanzania Mm -hmm. have set up a a cooperative with about 250 African farmers. Uh, uh, Their business model is to take them from subsistence farming to sustainable farming and commercial agribusiness. Now, obviously, in the lockdown, that's a problem. They can't get to the farmers. Uh, Transport is virtually impossible. And so these farmers are basically in lockdown as well. But it's an opportunity to look what kind of grants, what kind of... There's so much interest in in African agribusiness. And actually, if you start to to delve into what what is out there, you can actually find some really interesting people wanting to invest in your business. So, So... and, and that's the kind of thing that when you're dealing with farmers on a day-to-day basis you don't you just don't have the time to do that. So I think it's an opportunity for us all just to sort of yes deal with the crisis today but actually look at what uh, how we're all going to come out of this and I, yeah. I was talking to I mean if we look what the African Union is doing um, what seems to be emerging from this uh, from this crisis is a greater a greater attention is obviously going to be required for health and community health and medicine yeah, yeah. Uh, education we're moving we mentioned for eyes distance learning model we're yeah. going to move a lot more to distance learning and uh, we're going to learn to the Prevention is is cheaper than a cure, so we're going to need African-wide better health systems at local and national levels. And so, I I think a lot of entrepreneurs are actually looking about how they can get into that, either through uh, either through their apps or or, or through technology. Uh, And just things like the use of drones to deliver medicines to rural areas. So I think I think it does change everything. But I think it's not just a matter of let's let's try and survive the crisis. And then when we come out the other side, we just carry on doing what we were doing before. It's an opportunity (laughs) to innovate and be different. Yeah, it's difficult. But I think that's the way that the the smart entrepreneurs are heading at the moment. Uh, Desiree,
2: do you have anything to add on to that? Peter's pretty much said everything,
1: <laughs> but I think um, in terms of you know how businesses can respond right now, the question is what you want to what you want your business to look post COVID to look yeah. like post COVID. Um, the 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 processes and the things that you had in place before will they will they stand throughout um, COVID and maybe not. It's it's an opportunity for us to rethink the way we model our businesses. And I know, like Peter said, it's not easy. I believe COVID actually has come up to show us the cracks in pretty much everything that we've been doing, not just business, but across society, um, even the way, you know, um, schools run their their processes. Um, it's, they've, they've been finding it very difficult to yeah. move the curriculum online, you know, and this is not... Uh, this is not just in Africa. We're talking about massive universities that have been, you know, that have long-standing, um, uh, what what do you call it, long-standing abilities and capabilities. Face-to-face learning, but if when it comes yeah. to putting things online, it's a different kettle of fish. So that means things are going to look very different. There's no way we're going to default back to the normal way of doing things or the way we were doing things before, whether you're in business or not. I think. Right now, people are actually imagining what or how they can do things differently. Um, I have an example of uh, a travel lodge in Uganda, and this is part of the AWEC uh, cohort fellows. They, yeah. they they were running this travel lodge and unfortunately had to shut down as soon as the lockdown came through. But within a week, they started baking bread because the community were used to traveling outside of that vicinity to buy bread. And when the lockdown came in, they couldn't travel out anymore. And this was an opportunity for that travel lodge to now pivot on their business.
2: And so I think think it's more, it's looking at it more of an adapt and overcome type situation. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. as
2: as painful as it is, (laughs) it has to be done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and, and I think... There's another good example as well, a very similar one in Alexandra uh, Township in in South Africa. Right. uh, Where there there was a. His business started in the 2010 World Cup in South Africa, where he all the tourists coming in from all over the world to watch the matches he started setting up cycle tours of Alexandra Township because actually he felt strongly that people needed to see Alex, they couldn't just go to to the rich areas Cape Town etc, they needed to see the real South Africa and he built that into a successful business but what's happened south africa has no tourists anymore there's nothing it's it's zero uh and so what he's done is he's changed his business model into delivering medicines to delivering bread round alex township mm. now look it might be when this crisis is over that might be a more sustainable business model than tourism i mean we don't know at this stage but i think we've all got to we've got to be so flexible that we don't just think oh i'm a i'm a tour operator so i'm going to always be a tour operator this is an opportunity and i hesitate to use the word opportunity because it's 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 pretty awful for most people right but there is this sense you can change your business model and maybe at the end of this crisis the business model mark 2 is the one you want to stick with
2: so i think from what i'm getting from both of your points is like you know just have your ear on the ground even I know it's a tragic situation, but have your ear on the ground and see what the what the people around you need.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's at the heart of all African entrepreneurship. It's about looking at your community and seeing where the gaps are and what you can do to fill those gaps.
2: All right, so um, what other ways maybe you can give us two or three examples from both you, Peter and Desiree? Um, how 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 can companies that have been pro profit contribute a little bit more to social impact? You know, transitioning from profit to, um, being socially innovative. Maybe we can start with Desiree. Please. <laughs> <laughs> sure, not a problem. So. <laughs>
1: No problem. So I'll give you an example of of ASOS, which is the fashion retail giant. ASOS manufacture um, different types of clothing from all all over the world, using fabrics from different parts of the world. And one of the areas they wanted to explore was Africa, because African fabric is in. It's always been in, but you know. Um, And when they went to Kenya Mm -hmm. to do a feasibility study, what they found was the challenges that people were going through. So this was not a case of, okay, we can go in there, we can find some amazing um, fabric that we can use for our clothes and stuff like that. But the reality hit when they actually went to, you know, particularly remote areas, where there was no running water, there was no school, you know, or the women there were looking for ways of creating, you know, job opportunities for themselves right. and other people within the community. And that, that hit home because there's no way that you can enter that space and then think about making a profit while you know that the next yeah. fellow human being is suffering. And this is something that I call <laughs> community self-interest. It's a case where if my community is doing well, I'm doing well as well. And I think we're finding this in the larger sense of COVID. Um, So back to ASOS, they decided that from from then on, they would have to re-strategize and figure out how they actually can contribute to the development of the community. They opened a school to teach women about fabrics, textiles, how to create clothes and actually play a part in new lines. And from the profits. They make selling those clothes or using that fabric, they then reinvest in, in the community for the, the most, you know important needs, like the running water, the school for the children and things like that. And, so, and I, I liked what they had to do. It, it's not something right. that they planned in the beginning, but I think it hit home when they finally were on the ground and, and realized that there's, you've, you've got to, you can't yeah. ignore the human condition, particularly when yeah. when when people are Peter? suffering.
0: And I think it's an opportunity for greater self-sufficiency, as you say, Des, in, in that uh, I was on a webinar yesterday and there was the governor of uh, Kaduna province in Nigeria. And he was saying, you know, we've learned to go local because we used to import everything Now, importing is dangerous because it could come from areas where there's a lot of COVID-19 cases. So we're learning within our communities to start producing more of our own food and started helping each other. But I think also in terms of a business plan, I I think reputation is so important in business. I mean, we've got two big here in the UK. We've got two big uh, chain stores mainly involved in clothing but lots of other things i won't name them their supply chain is basically in bangladesh where the factories are one company and but their stores are obviously closed at the moment so they've got zero customers yeah. one store has said to bangladesh suppliers sorry we're not we're not honoring our um, our supplies because we can't sell them the other company has said yes we will honor them even though we can't sell them we will we will we will we will keep your workers in work and we'll keep them in wages. Now, once we get the other side of the crisis, which company is going to come out with the better reputation? and uh, That's going to be that's going to be good for sales as well. Very locally here. My local fish and chip shop in my local high street is offering free fish and chips to nurses and doctors and police officers. Free fish and chips. Four and six. I'm coming over, Peter.
1: I'm coming over.
0: Well, you're welcome. Come on. (laughs) The Savaloys are beautiful. Uh, But but no, but the thing is we love those guys. Uh, You know, now now if I'm going anywhere, I will go to that fish and chip shop because they're good people and they're doing good work. So So I think you know it's it's you give a bit to get a bit I think in business and it's it they're doing good community work but it's good business planning for the future as well
2: great um mm. you know it's been amazing having you guys on here and I feel like you know so the conversation true. just flowed as natural as it possibly can um with that said you know do we have any plans for the future I mean obviously post-covid but like what what is what is post-covid looking for like looking like for both of
0: you uh, uh i think i think the recovery is going to take a bit of time right definitely uh, but I, think, yeah. I, I think so far you know i don't think it's a v curve or whatever you know where it, it went down to rock bottom and it's going to come back just as it was i think it's going to be a very slow recovery unfortunately however i think that one of the lessons learned is that africa has got to depend on itself and I, and I say that in a very positive sense. You know, I think the kind of leadership we're seeing in the West means that the West is so preoccupied with its own crisis yeah. that actually Africa is, and Africa's and, and, and I think the African Union are, are suggesting this as well. That, you know, what's going to come out of this is the need for every African country to start paying proper attention to its health systems mm. and actually really building up its health systems, and I think education follows in that. I mean, the, talking to the uh, uh, the governor in Kaduna, you know, he was saying that they're all the school children, they're all learning via radio because people still don't have enough internet access. Yeah. So I think connectivity is going to be very important to link up the continent, and also I think I think. Um, I really, I really do think that one of the lessons from this is that you know Af- there is a Pan-African spirit, and people always tell us Africa isn't a country, and we all know that. But I think there is a sense of African solutions that something that's working in Kenya may well be adopted in Botswana or Nigeria yeah. yes. or Egypt. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, just a parting shot from me: we're only in we're only in 2020. We've got another 80 years to turn this into the African century. And, and I think we will. We'll have the largest workforce in the country by 2050. I, I think, you know, if we can just get through this, I, I think the innovation I see, the entrepreneurship I see in Africa, will create that we will all be, if we're all still around, you guys will probably still be around at the end of the century. I don't know if I will, but we will say, God, that was that was the African century. Yes. And I think we're on. we will be on course for that. I really do. Okay.
1: What about you, Desiree? Um, So a couple of things. I think I'll pick up from the AU perspective. I think the Africa Union right now, I know they are looking at a way to build even more robust systems in infrastructure. That is the hope. And they are trying to find ways of um, working those programs with young people. So young people actually being at the forefront of creating the proposals, the infrastructural um, ideas, the innovation and the creativity around it. so I think they're on track, they're, they're on the right track. I'm hoping that that will see fruition at some point. Um so that's that's one thing. The other thing I see as is as well is a an increase in cooperatives, an increase yeah. in it, it's something, to be honest, we're really good at in Africa. You know, you you know about the cooperatives in small rural villages that come together for an agricultural project or you know a women's project or you know for the children they're really good right. at that and i think if we scale that an example of that in good scale is AWEC at the africa women's entrepreneurship cooperative there's 600 mm-hmm. women in the co-op and what they've managed to do over the last two months is you know, exchange and share knowledge around how they are managing their businesses during this time. And we're talking about women across 41 countries. Um, So I I see an explosion of cooperatives. I see, like Peter said, Africa having to stand on its own two feet. And the way we do that is by working together. Um, for myself, I really right. would like to see myself traveling across the continent just to get these stories out, just to hear how people are navigating um, what uh, the aftermath of, of COVID. And I know it's going to be, I think it's, it's going to be a long stretch in recovery and we're talking 18 to 24 months here because we, I mean, we've been hit badly and this is the globe I'm talking about. So, right. you know, and, and somebody's got to pay that bill. Somebody's got to pay that bill. So it, it there's, there's yeah. a whole lot of things that are going to come out of it, but I am hopeful like, you know, as we are entrepreneurs, we are hopeful and optimistic about all these kind of <laughs> things, there's opportunity in everything.
2: You
1: know,
2: so, yeah. yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much, guys, for, you know, joining us onto this podcast. You know, it's remarkable to have the kind of caliber of guests that we have on a weekly basis. And to have a two-for-one special today, I'm even overwhelmed myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Two-for-one, I love it. (laughs) Thank you, Savannah. Thank you, Alex. It's such a a privilege to be on here. Absolutely love
2: it. I do hope we have more conversations in the future, for sure. So,
0: yeah definitely and, and Savannah please send us your details so we can stay in touch and follow your media career because clearly I, you've got one I definitely <laughs> will brilliant All right,
2: then thanks I'll, guys okay.
1: Alex and Savannah thank you so much for having me it's my pleasure to be on this show and uh, I'm a huge fan of the Africa Leadership University and leadership network and the african academy and everything to do with um, you know the with alu i think what you guys are doing is fantastic and i'm here to support any of your initiatives and projects from now and in the future so yeah looking forward to being a part of this